Stand Up for the Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up for the Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Hello, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for tuning in. Very important podcast today as uh, we tell how we got here, meaning this podcast. What? Uh, how did we start? Um, what was one of the catalysts? What was some of the history in the church in America that led to the watering down of the Word of God in our own churches and the veering to the left and allowing things like progressive ideas and secularism into the church. How did this all happen? We're going to talk about that. Of course, an important subject underlying all this is the inerrancy of Scripture. And uh, one of the books actually we're going to touch on today, I just got it today in hand, brand new book called A Christian Perspective on the Social Justice Movement. We talked about uh, last Friday with, with Linda Harvey as our guest. She contributed to one of the chapters. Well, Mary Danielson is here with me. Good morning, Mary. Good morning. You contributed two separate chapters to this book. We'll be diving into one of them in segment two today. But thank you. I have it in hand. It's a blessing to have this book, friends, and it's through Lighthouse Trails. Uh, some of the topics include communist and Marxist influence, the Hegelian dialectic, Black Lives Matter, critical race theory, wokeism, environmentalism, the terms and language used, what they really mean, the new age in the social justice movement, um, the sexual revolution, COVID, uh, a catalyst for social justice, manipulating elections, social justice in Israel, and the social justice, quote, gospel versus the true gospel. So again, the book we'll be referring to next segment a Christian's perspective on the social justice movement. I want to thank you guys for when you do send in donations or just write a little letter of thanks encouraging us here at Stand Up For The Truth. I want to thank Kathleen from California. Um, Kathleen from Marietta, California. She says, I'm so very thankful for your ministry. I listen every single day. God bless and Merry Christmas. Kathleen, Merry Christmas. She obviously probably heard the section yesterday where we talked about happy holidays. Um, did you hear that list, Mayor, yesterday? I went through this list. I just spent four hours listening to TV commercials and watching TV commercials, and I accumulated all these notes. And I read this yesterday, talked with Pastor Steve Smotherman. These, this is what the commercials do. They all just say, Happy holidays, this holiday, season's greetings, home for the holidays, the holidays are here, just in time for the holidays, and more and more and more. I've got two pages. I'll get to that in another, at another time, but I think I'm going to write an article next week about that. So what is today all about? We prayed before we got on the podcast that God would direct this, that the Holy Spirit would lead. Um, we are going to start off with Jude, and let's, let's go to... Really, a simple scripture, Jude chapter 1, verse 3 and 4 says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith. 
that was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. So we're going to talk about the emergent church today and why you don't hear those words anymore. What happened? Did it go away? No. Well, it's a movement um, that began in the late 20th and early 21st century, crossing a number of theological boundaries. And we're going to talk about how we got there, but we've got to go back even before, let's just say, the 1970s or 80s. I've got in my hand a different book now by Paul Smith called New Evangelicalism. And, Mayor, I just want to go back to the seminaries and back to how we in America got this idea. Because if you go to Acts 2.42, if you read the New Testament, we it's hard to understand how we think these big buildings need to be built to house these massive churches and we the pastor needs to be a CEO instead of a shepherd of the flock and a discerner and a watchman on the wall. The, many pastors take the, the, a business role today. How did we get right. here? Right. Oh, you know... Um, there's a gentleman out there named C. Peter Wagner, and uh, he is responsible for not just the emergent church uh, model, which I'll talk about, I'll define briefly in a second here, mm-hmm. but also the NAR. So uh, it's good to familiarize, familiarize yourself with this gentleman's name. But, um, and you know, you, you say the phrase emergent church, and people think, oh, that's just so 90s. You know, that, that had a shelf life, that had an expiration uh-huh. date. No, because the devil never lets a good movement go to waste. It morphs, it changes. Yes. Well, the emergent subculture started out um, really as the very thing that its proponents claim to reject, uh, and that is a marketing ploy designed by the secret church, and I call it its evil twin, the church growth movement. Uh, demographics, uh, you may recall, experts posed this challenge to the evangelical church some years ago. Either reinvent the church to make it more appealing, or we will lose the next generation for Christ. Okay, so wait a minute. Now we got a bad off-ramp already because the Spirit works in one heart at a time in any generation. And God certainly knows how to take care of every generation, just like he did with the Jesus movement in my generation. But uh, the EC, uh, Emergent Church EC, came about over what a particular generation wanted in a church. Well, what do you think church should be like? Uh, but so thanks to mass marketing on that level, uh, it became just another export with its own musical style, artistic designs. I call them faith-based haircuts. You know, appreciating the culture, you know, becoming one with the art. So um, conforming to the world, in other yes, words. Yes, and then it had its own set of buzzwords and jargon, just like so- the social justice movement does. It's not an organic <clears throat> bottom-up movement that just happened. It was birthed by a corporate mindset that raised up leaders and authors and conference speakers at a dizzying pace. And a lot of people got very rich in the process. Okay, you mentioned C. Peter Wagner. Mm -hmm. We've got to talk about who that is and why he's important. And I want to read from Paul uh, Smith's book. But before I do that, um, boy, how far should we go back? In the 1950s, um, over at Fuller Seminary, yes, Fuller Seminary, I remember the, the incoming class came in. With something like an 80, let's, um, don't quote me specifically, but something like an 80 to an 85% belief in the inerrancy of scriptures. When they graduated from Fuller, now this was in the 1950s, 
a majority of those students did not or no longer believed in the inerrancy of scriptures. Why? This is supposed to be a, a theological seminary that's based on the Word of God, on the Bible. That is your foundation. So how can you go to any seminary in America and come away not believing that the Bible is God-breathed, inerrant, inspired? That happens. So we're going back to the 50s in America here now, Mayor. But let's jump ahead to the 1970s and see Peter Wagner became a professor of church growth in 1971 during his 30-year tenure at the Fuller School of World Mission, which ended in 2001. C. Peter Wagner taught students from many countries of the world. And this is what's sad. People come to America thinking they're getting this biblical training. And it's not just Fuller that went off the rails. Others as, as well. And we've talked about that before. But let's let's now go to um, – oh, this is good. So see Peter Wagner. We're still talking about this guy and his – and concerns that we have for him. Over three decades, he served as an advisor to mission-oriented ministries, committees, organizations, and global Holy Spirit movements, teaching the immensely popular Signs and Wonders class that catapulted him to an outspoken advocate of praying for the sick, spiritual mapping – Identification, repentance, the role of apostles and prophets in the church today. Spiritual warfare, demonic deliverance, and sinless perfection. So there's so much more, friends. We're going to just skim the surface on this background today. But being a professor of church growth? Well, what the heck, Mary? John, John Wimber was one of his students, too. So now we have a whole nother branch. The vineyard, vineyard movement. Yeah. Vineyard another, church. Wow. And, you know, I, I'm brand of the verse that says the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. I mean, you, you are here. Um, okay. Wow. So let's move on from this. That was 1971. So now we're in the 70s, friends. Let's go back, Mayor. Um, I remember I lived in Southern California for 17 years. Robert Schuler. In the 1970s, by the way, my, one of the first books I read when I got out of high school was uh, Possibility Thinking by Norman Vincent Peale. So you know what road I was going down. I yeah. just wanted something. I wanted K-Love Christianity. I wanted something positive and encouraging. I wanted just a possibility thinking. Mm-hmm. Sure, I, I read, I think, a couple, a proverb, and one of the scriptures I remember he talked about, uh, Philippians 4.13. I'm going, okay, great. He, the, he sprinkles in a little scripture and then puts his psychology, mm-hmm. his psychobabble, and possible possibility thinking. And that's Norman Vincent Peale. So anyway, he influenced uh, Schuler. So Schuler went door-to-door in Southern California in the 1970s. What do you want? For, what, what kind of church would you like to see here in this area? What kind of a church would you go to? What do you want in a church? So here, first of all, Mayor, where is this biblical that a pastor or anybody representing biblical Christianity hey. would go and ask what someone who doesn't believe wants to see in a church and then give them that. Right. That's a recipe for apostasy. Right. And once you, you know, you have the gifts of pastor teacher that God, God gives them. Hopefully they are Ephesians ordained by God. 4. Right. And so you don't, you don't go into other professionals like lawyers or doctors and say, here's what I want you to do for me. Likewise, the pastor has that shepherd role in the church, he shepherds the flock of God and he, he teaches, but that really is off the rails because now Rick Warren says that, you know, wasn't he a disciple of 
Schuler, and then you've got the Willow Creek model. Yes. And the, the mischief oh. is, is uh, it's almost impossible to connect these dots. Oh, Willow Creek. We could go on a whole, yeah. we could do a podcast on the issues there that they've had. And their leadership, their global leadership conference, bringing in Bono, and secular people that don't even believe CEOs. some of them. CEOs. CEOs on leadership. This is a Christian church, friends. If you're not familiar with Willow Creek, it's in Chicago, right? Mm -hmm. Or a suburb. Mm -hmm. And they, anyway, that's a leader. So back to this book, um, we mentioned Peter Drucker. Why are we talking about this? Because we're going to tell you in the next segment what happened in 2010 here in the Midwest, Northeast Wisconsin, and what was the catalyst that began Stand Up for the Truth podcast. There were a couple of them. We're going to talk about that. That's where we're going next segment. But let's go back to... The American secular world. Peter Drucker became a rising star as a notable management guru, achieving fame as a consultant to both General Motors and General Electric. What does this have to do with the church? Because the church was looking to him as a leadership model, and that's how pastors started conforming a little bit to have this CEO mm-hmm. mentality. So anyway, let, let's move on now and bring it up to that was, you know, the ni- we touched the 1970s, 1980s. And now here we are, Mayor, talking about um, the, the emergent church. Now, how did that develop? Where did it come from? There were individuals who just wanted to do church. I mean, in, in, in the so-called the evangelical church in America, uh, so-called Christian leaders and pastors, they just wanted to do church a different way. They saw things a different way. They wanted to, quote, modernize. Basically, it's compromise, right? When you hear modernize yeah. the church, Basically, it's compromise. So where do you want to go next? Well, um, you know, there is something out there. I, I think one of the main one of the main movers and shakers here is Brian McLaren. Um, okay. uh, wasn't his book yes. a, new, a New Kind of Christian? A New Kind of Christianity. A I New think. Kind of Christianity, something yeah. like that. Isn't that interesting? Um, um, Brian McLaren... When you, when you look at, I've read many, many, many merchant books. In fact, I read them all so you don't have to. You know, that's, that's my, uh, oh boy. how conventional, that's how I approach these things because I want to know what the enemy's up to. I want to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And Brian McLaren, I think, was one of the biggest movers and shakers. Uh, he got a, um, he and his partner in heresy, who you may never have heard of, Philip Clayton, they got a generous grant from the ultra-liberal Ford Foundation so that they could come up with something called Big Tent Christianity. And it's just like what you think it is. It's a big old tent, and everybody's welcome. Everyone's uh, inclusive. But here's, here is the foundation or the basement level of emergence uh, Christianity. Um, uh, this big inclusive tent, of course, but something called emergence theology. Uh, Talk about making up stuff as you go. There's a field of emergent sciences, uh, and it, it appeals to the intellectual, scientific, religious world. Um, but it's it's the study of things to come. They call it eschatology, which it is absolutely not. But emergent, just to cut to the chase here, emergence or progressive theology, um, they believe that everything emerges. This is so humanistic. This is so, um, it leads into the Antichrist at the end of the day here, I think. Um, but even the church is emerging, and it's supposed to build uh, a global utopia. So the religion of that would be social justice. And there's so many vain philosophies, it will just make your stomach turn. But they believe um, this underpinning of the EC. Remember, the EC has the trappings. It's got the monastic feel. It's got the candles. It's got the music. It's got all that. And it, it dupes young people into coming in here and thinking, oh, look, this is not the 80s um, evangelicalism that my parents 
were into. So they wanted something different. But they believe in the Big Bang. They believe in Darwinism because everything is evolving. McLaren believes this. Um, they believe the world is becoming more complex. New entities are being born. So we need to reimagine, rethink, re-everything. They use those words a lot. They use the those words a lot. Reimagine. There's, isn't there a conference now, reimagine? Probably. And there, yeah. has, there have been so many of those. And I, it, it draws people in again. But what's beneath it is this emergence theology. Okay. God is emerging. Um, we're going to become gods. This is what underpins the emergent church. Okay. Let's go back and review. So the emergent church... We already kind of gave you a little bit of the background that led up to that, the the dropping the belief in the inerrancy of scriptures, the church growth movement, running your church like a business. Um, so they seek to live their faith and in what they believe to be a postmodern society, postmodernism, right? Mm-hmm. They're pushing that. It is straying away from the truth. Um, they favor at the time. Now, this, w- this was when they were working – actively, most active in the 80s and 90s, um, the s- simple story and narrative in preaching style. Um, adherence placed a high value on good works or social activism. One hallmark of the emergent church was the liberal New Age aspect, including contemplative meditation and prayers. Where, where, do, how does, where does that come from? Now we're, now we're bringing in a little bit of mysticism or Roman Catholicism. Some emphasize eternal salvation. Many in the emergent church through the decades emphasized taking care of the earth here and now. So where does that come in? Now you're talking about environmentalism. But the one one bottom line, I think, is many of them rejected the inerrancy of Scripture. Mary, you mentioned Brian McLaren. We need to quote him briefly. He said, and there are many quotes that we could share with you, but he said, I don't believe making disciples must equal making adherence to the Christian religion. This is Brian McLaren speaking. It may be advisable in many, not all, circumstances to help people become followers of Jesus and remain within their Buddhist, Hindu, Islamic, or Jewish context. Stop right there. Now we have the movement movement Chrislam Mm -hmm. about, what, 15 years ago or something Mm -hmm. like that. So Chrislam was a mixture, trying to mix... Christianity and Islam. What could go wrong <laughs> when you're talking about the teachings on the Prophet Muhammad versus teachings of Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life? Jesus, who is God, mighty God, who was the Word, who became flesh and dwelt among us. So he is the way. But here's how they're trying to mix things. Now we've, now we've got another sprinkle, Mayor, religious pluralism. We've got some syncretism, religious pluralism mm-hmm. now. So there's so much. Once you open the door... You just crack that door, and we only have two minutes left in this segment. You crack that door open, uh, you remove inerrancy, and now here we go. You can go down almost any path, right. allowing other religions, allowing now there's gay Christianity. If you can put, I, we need to put that in air quotes, though. Gay Christianity, it's progressive Christianity. Right. It is apostasy. And there's a social justice gospel that we've got to talk about too. And I think the emergent church is is the the old old line liberalism that was handed down from the old mainline Protestant denominations. Because one thing yes. I noticed, a lot of these youth pastors, Shane Claiborne and people like that, they started out as youth pastors. They were youth pastors in Protestant denominations before they moved into the evangelical churches to spread their yes. their poison. Oh um, boy! So now we have uh, politically correct inclu- inclusivism. Uh, activism. Um, uh. Okay, so there are more people we need to mention when we come back. Brian McLaren, Jim Wallace, 
Shane Claiborne, Rob Bell, Doug Paget. These are all people that you need to be aware of and concerned about, friends. More on Stand Up for the Truth. How did we get here when we come back? Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Galatians chapter 5, verses 7 through 9 says, You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Wow, amen. Galatians 5, 7 through 9. Let's mention America's most influential pastor, B. B.J.O., before Joel Osteen. It was Rick Warren. Um, Peter Drucker was his mentor. And yet, in 2001, in an interview, we mentioned Peter Drucker. He, de- he denied being a born-again Christian. Drucker was the disciple of philosopher and mystic Soren Kierkegaard and was also influenced by Zen Buddhism. At a 2005 Pew Forum on Religion, and I think right around there, Time Magazine listed Warren as one of the most influential Christians in America. 2005 Pew Forum, Warren said this, quote, I've spent 20 years under his tutelage, Peter Drucker, learning about leadership. So we're not suggesting Warren is not a Christian, but his mentor clearly was not. He was, a, I'm sure, a great business leader. But influences, when you talk about pastors that are influencing Many believers through their books, uh, The Purpose Driven Life, Purpose Driven Church. Um, we need to talk about who influences these pastors. Who are their mentors? Well, we're going to talk in a few minutes. We're going to get to the mentors of a person who runs a very influential uh, music um, festival in the country. And that's right here in Wisconsin. We're going to talk about that. But we, we need to quote a few of these other people that we are saying, watch out, friends, don't be... Rob Bell, let's just talk about Rob Bell, who fell off the rails. Uh, he, did, he didn't believe in a literal hell. Why do we mention Rob Bell? You guys don't even know who... He was a pastor at Mars Hill in Grand Rapids, Michigan. He did these NUMA videos. He was a youth pastor. Then he was very influential. He wrote this, this book called Love Wins. He believes in universalism. Why is this important? Well, because Universalism teaches that everyone's going to make it to heaven, you know, God saved everybody, so even if you don't believe in this life, you'll get a second chance. I don't find that anywhere in Scripture. But yeah, this is what some of these men of God teach. And um, he goes, uh, he said this, I have as much in common with the performance artist, the stand-up comedian, the screenwriter, as I do with the theologian. This this is Rob Bell. Um he denies reality and finds a way to explain away hell or get anyone, everyone into heaven, which wouldn't we all want to get everyone into heaven, but we don't write the book. God did. Uh, regardless of their rejection of the gospel, you can still get everyone into heaven. I, that's impossible. That's not biblical, but Bell tries to do that. So these are some of the things. He says, quote, Rob Bell, Repentance is not turning from sin. It is a celebration of life in Christ. Anyone who tells you that you need to repent is not talking about Christianity. Another quote, now this is from his book, Love Wins. Of all the billions of people who have ever lived with only a select number making it to a better place, 
and every single other person to suffer in torment and punishment forever? Is this acceptable to God? You know, as much as, as you and I um, can see through all of this, because we have a biblical worldview, we, we're rooted and grounded in God's word, now because of the emergent church, we have an entire generation that isn't. And so we yeah. have Donald Miller, Blue Like Jazz, we have Rob Bell, we have Doug Paget. I have read their books, yeah. and they're so compelling because they sprinkle just a little bit of truth, mm. that gallon of truth and that drop of poison. Um, the books appeal to the emotion the average person who doesn't know their Bible and they're not reading their Bible and they're reading Rob Bell, they're reading these other books and they have nothing to compare it to. And it's just, you can't, you can't overstate the influence that these heaps of teachers have had on young people today. Um, the books are still out there because once you write them and put them out, they're always going to be out there. So as like, you know, my point being as much as you and I know that no hell bell has it all wrong, Mm -hmm. There are so many others out there. The shack would also turn into just a universalist tome, uh, among other things, you know, creating God. Isn't that the book where God is a woman? Yes. Okay. Well, we'll we'll talk about that a little uh, in a little bit, but I just want to finish the thought on Mm -hmm. Rob Bell. He said, um, when people use the word hell, what do they mean? He said, Jesus' desire for his followers is that they live in such a way that they bring heaven to earth. Mm. That's kind of NAR-ish in a way. Yeah. But um, so let's move on. You mentioned Doug Paget. So he said, no, being gay and Christian is not a contradiction in any way. That's Doug Paget. Who's who's Doug Paget? Well, he's, he was another leader in the emergent church movement in the 80s and 90s. He was an author, pastor of Solomon's Porch in Minneapolis. And he said, is homosexuality incompatible with the Christian faith? And then he said, listen to this. The inerrancy of Scripture debate is based on the belief that the Bible is the Word of God, that the Bible is true because God made it and gave it to us as a guide to truth. But that's not what the Bible says. This makes you cringe when you understand. Those of you who have read Scripture, who Mm -hmm. have studied it, showed yourself approved, when you hear these things, you're going, whoa, these guys are off the rails. So let me ask you then, how did they creep into the church? How did their doctrines become accepted in the modern evangelical church? Fine, let's touch on Shane Claiborne, and then we have to go to what happened in 2010. Shane Claiborne, um, well, he did uh, did speak in the area back in 2010. Well, before that, though, Mary, he was a co-founder of the Potter Street Community, The Simple Way. He was a graduate graduate of Eastern University. Isn't that where uh, Tony Campalo also... uh, taught or whatever. I believe so. He was part of the Alternative Seminary in Philadelphia, and he was a red-letter Christian, or is, along with Tony Campalo, mm-hmm. um, Jim Wallace, many others. So Claiborne says things like, he's a pacifist, he's an environmentalist, he says things like, there are extremists, both Muslim and Christian, who kill in the name of their gods. Right, and he wrote a book called Irresistible Revolution, Mm-hmm. Um, and it, this goes way past uh, rethinking and reimagining. He's calling for a revolution, um, and the book has been endorsed by Brian McLaren, Tony Campolo, Leonard Sweet, but he is <clears throat> a full-blown Marxist, and I don't know if you remember this. Um, back some years ago, uh, probably a dozen years ago, Target got in some hot water because they were offering a line of merchandise with the uh, image of Che Guevara on the front, 
He was a revolutionary Marxist. He was Castro's right-hand man and personal physician. Uh, Kovar was responsible for having brought to Cuba the Soviet missiles that precipitated the Cuban Missile Crisis. So this is... Wow. He's bigger than life when it comes to where we are in this Marxist socialist society. But uh, he was a mass murderer. Um, he was responsible for the gulag in Havana. And he says, you know, uh, to send men to the firing squad, you don't need judicial proof. Um, it's just it's just a, a detail. That was Che? That, uh, yes, that, that was Che Guevara. So Claiborne, he quotes in his book, he quotes Che Guevara. Who inspired Claiborne. Uh, yeah, and, he's, and I, so my question is, why is Claiborne quoting someone that history will, clo- will clearly show was a cold-blooded Marxist psychopath? And you have Cubans living in Miami today who fled that Cuba mm. with nothing but the clothes on their back. You and know what? 20 years ago, I remember my nephew wearing a Che T-shirt, yeah. and he didn't have any idea nope. of his background. It was just a cool thing to do because some people definitely, I guess, emulated this guy who... And and you're going, how do these yeah, guys get these role models? But let me read something real quick, and then we, we need to move on, because we mentioned Shane Claiborne for a reason, and we need to move on to a man named Jim Wallace. So as Charles Spurgeon once said, discernment is not a matter of knowing the difference between right and wrong. It is the difference between right and almost right. So we're going to answer this question. How do we get to the point? Many of these liberal, emergent, progressive, non-biblical ideas and teachings have blended in with sound doctrine. How do they get here? How do they slither in? And the answer goes back to the book of Genesis. Do you remember the serpent deceived Eve by questioning God? What did, he, what did the serpent say famously? Did God really say, this is what these men are doing? Did God really say, the scriptures are inerrant? Did God really say, you need to repent and be born again? Did God really say, that homosexuality is a sin. Did God? So this is what they're doing. It goes way back. So now, Mayor, um, let's talk a little bit about Jim Wallace. Go. Let's go to your book. Are uh, the, uh, the book? I'm sorry. A Christian perspective on social justice movement. You wrote a chapter, chapter eight. Now this book has many contributors, friends: Carl Teichrib, Roger Oakland, Mike Oppenheimer, uh, Linda Harvey, uh, David Dombrowski. It's by Lighthouse Trails. Mayor's chapter is a social justice gospel pioneer. So take us where you want us to go here now. Several years prior to this, it's been a while, I've been looking into what I perceive to be this leftist infiltration into the church for through all the ways that we have previously mentioned. Um, a lot of people have been expressing concern back in 2010 or so, around that time, uh, over this social justice gospel, uh, and Jim Wallace, a major, major mover and shaker. He is the founder of Sojourners Magazine. He's one of the top change agents in this movement within, unfortunately, the Evangelical Protestant Church, and he calls himself a Protestant uh, Evangelical pastor. Reverend. Um, Reverend Jim That's Wallace. Right. Um, he was a part of the Obama administration, uh, which is very interesting. We had the Reverend Wright there for a while, Jeremiah Wright, and then we had the Obama in, uh, administration. Okay, so Jeremiah Wright uh, was a, a black liberation mm-hmm. theologian, mm-hmm. Uh, a Marxist, and he's he was Obama's pastor for I think twenty years, if I'm not mistaken. Was but, it that long? Yeah. Wow. So and oh, and so Jim Wallace was a spiritual advisor to Obama and the Obama administration. Jim Wallace met with the Senate Democrats in, I believe, 2005, 
three years before Obama came on the scene, and he taught the Democrats how to sprinkle God and religion and faith into their language when they were giving speeches to dupe Americans to think that the Democrats were religious and found God and believed in God, which most of them don't. But anyway, Wallace was key in being used by them to now. So he's with Obama now. And we're going back to 2010 after Barack Obama was selected and then elected. (laughs) And so Wallace was his spiritual advisor at that time. Go ahead, Mayor. Well, and I want to just go back just a little bit. Uh, real, <laughs> sure. Just to catch a little bit more of his of who he is. Just it's impossible to capture it all. Yes. We're trying to be as concise as we can here because yeah. it's such a big subject. But yeah. uh, um, he was against the Vietnam War. He actually now this is Jim Wallace. Jim Wallace. Yeah. He rejoiced in America's defeat there. Um, just total Marxist. Uh, he he re- supported the Sandinista communists. Uh, in Nicaragua in the 80s. Wasn't he part of the Students for Democrat Society? Or I believe so. Well, Rick, well, Rick Warren was in, in the SDS. I, I would imagine. Socialists or Students for Democrat Society? Anyway, Stud- it students, is, it's yes. either it's socialism anyway, but he was arrested how many times? Wallace 22. was arrested. 22, 22 times. 22 times he was arrested um, for his act- activism. Well, here, here's a good overview for you. In 1983, the organization Accuracy in Media published a lengthy book titled The Sojourner's Files on the Far-Left Policies of Wallace and His Organization. They documented 53 political positions of sojourners, such as Israel's right to exist, terrorism, socialism, So slow down. So Jim Wallace is not a big fan of Israel? He is not a big fan of Israel or anything that the church holds dear. So okay. we can presume he's the polar opposite of okay. all these things. Of Human biblical rights, Christianity. Of biblical Christianity. And, and this accuracy in media compared... Uh, Sojourners' positions on these subjects with those of the Soviet Union. In all 53 position statements, it was found that Sojourners' views were completely in line with the views of hardline Soviets. So how is that possible, Mayor, that, that a, a Christian so-called um, organization or publication has these views that are completely what, the antithesis of, of traditional biblical Christianity? Well, you know, it's 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 hard to explain ex- uh, the spirit of the age. You can call it what you want, but the the left now we know the left has so infiltrated politics and the church, um, and this by way of just giving you some idea of how we got here, um, because nothing happens in a vacuum. And as I said during the break to you, you're not going to put this toothpaste back in the tube. No, this is no. our world. Now, let me just quote him. Who and we could go on and on and on, but. We're con- by the way, guys, we're condensing like four podcasts into less than one hour today. So pray for us as we continue to navigate through this. Jim Wallace once said, I don't think that abortion is the moral equivalent of issue to slavery because he's pro-choice, right? He said, I think poverty is the new slavery. Poverty and global inequality are the fundamental moral issues of our time. And what does the Biden administration say and Obama that climate change it's a, is an existential threat to the world and to America? Also, Jim Wallace said, Jesus didn't talk about homosexuality at all. The Bible talks about the poor again and again. And there are more quotes like this. He says, as more Christians become influenced by liberation theology, Jim Wallace said, finding themselves increasingly rejecting the values of institutions of capitalism, they will also be drawn to the Marxist analysis and praxis that is so central to the social justice movement. Out, and quote, out of his own 
mouth. So, Mayor, what happened in 2010? Uh, I, do you want me to just uh, set this up? Just go for it. Okay. Yeah. So I'm working here at a Christian radio station near Green Bay, Wisconsin. Mary Danielson is working on staff at Calvary Chapel in Appleton, Wisconsin. Pastor Dwight at Calvary Chapel learned, I mean, many of us did, and we didn't know at the same time. We were all learning about this somehow. But Pastor Dwight learned that Jim Wallace was coming to town that summer to be a keynote speaker at a major Christian entertainment uh, music festival. So Jim Wallace was going to take the main stage without a Christian conservative or without a Republican to debate. Just he was going to have the main stage. And I believe, if I remember right, it was right before Newsboys took the stage. So um, I've got a letter that we're going to start because we've only got two minutes in this segment from Pastor Dwight Duville at Calvary Chapel Appleton and on May 28, 2010, which would have been about a month and a half before uh, Shane Claiborne and Jim Wallace were coming to Life Fest. Some of you I know, some of you I don't. My reason for writing is a concern I have that will affect many people who attend our churches. I am referring to a speaker who will be a keynote at Life Fest in Oshkosh this July. Before I go any farther, I wanted to let you know that I have personally spoken with Bob Lenz of Life Promotion, sponsors of Life Fest, on the phone, and I consider him a friend. I've known him for roughly 30 years. I've scheduled a private meeting with him to express my concerns. I have no axe to grind. The information I'm going to give him, I am passing on to you. Unfortunately, this happened last year. Also with their guest speaker at Life Fest, William Paul Young, author of The Shack, who denies he is a universalist, but I know as a fact he is a universalist. Now we need to pause there because before we continue with this letter that was sent out to pastors in 2010, we need to talk about briefly the shack and talk about William Paul Young. I've got a quote from him and a quote from someone who dissected that book and we'll come back and talk about that in a minute. Can you believe it? We're coming up upon our final segment and we could go on for hours, but we're going to try to condense all this and it's all leading up to how Stand Up for the Truth began. More in just a minute. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Why Stand Up For The Truth? How did we get here? Back to this letter in 2010 that the pastor at Calvary Chapel of Appleton, Wisconsin, sent to um, Wisconsin pastors alerting them to um, more radicals and leftists coming to this music and entertainment festival that they have every year called Life Fest. I'm going back to this paragraph now where he talks about sending in this letter a DVD from a pastor's conference. Uh, a man came in and spoke. His name is James B. D. Young. I say that because he's not to be confused with the author of The Shack, who is William Young, William Paul Young. So, so this guy, James B. D. Young, spoke, and he said, quote, 2004, um, Paul, and he's talking about William Paul Young, I, I think, mm-hmm. surprisingly presented his embrace of universal reconciliation. It is a Christian form of universalism, not the pagan form. It's crucial to understand this. And then we move on. Again, this guy he's talking about is the author of The Shack. So-called Christian universalism, which Paul Young did embrace, 
insists that all must come to God through Jesus Christ either before they die or after they die. If people who if people do not believe in Jesus before they die, God will use the fires of hell, kind of like purgatory or something, to purge away the unbelief of all, even that of the devil and fallen angels, so that hell is finally emptied and all go to heaven. In other words, after people die, they still have a second chance to repent, which is really not biblical, friends. The point is, in the end, hell ceases to exist. There is no eternal judgment. This is the form of universalism embedded in the shack. In the appendix section of the book, I outlined the points of the universal reconciliation. So that was uh, James B. D. Young, who wrote a book about that that people can get. And then now back to the letter to the pastors. This is all part of this letter warning pastors about these authors and speakers and social justice advocates coming to a Christian festival in Wisconsin. Pastor Dwight continues of Calvary Chapel Appleton. This year's keynote speaker is Jim Wallace. Again, this is 2010. President Obama's spiritual advisor. Jim Wallace is a self-avowed Marxist, and by his own admission, he has been jailed 22 times in the last 40 years for his radical views. He is no Christian. Just as W. Paul Young denies he's a universalist, Wallace asserts he is an evangelical pastor or reverend. And then um, I'm going to just go to wrap up. Because he sent a DVD. He sent in all this extensive information about Jim Wallace, which some of it Mary and I just touched on in the last segment. And the letter concludes, I am also troubled that in the name of unity and what we, the why can't we all just get along mindset, there is once again a Catholic priest offering the Eucharist on the Sunday morning of Life Fest. This simply gives them credibility to highly impressionable young people who may not have the biblical discernment of the adults. And stop right there, Mayor. I'm sad to say a lot of adults don't have that biblical discernment. But in closing, let me quote the late Dr. Walter Martin. Friends, and this is important. Quote, controversy for its own sake is sin. Controversy for the sake of the truth is a divine mandate. Dr. Walter Martin. So, Jim Wallace also, um, I got a picture of him at, in 2012, we talked about this on the podcast in years previous. Um, he spoke in Davos, Switzerland, the World Economic Forum. So he's a globalist as well. Uh, he took funding from George Soros, which he lied about and denied. And finally, investigators revealed that, oh, he did, in fact, take money from George Soros for sojourners. Um, but let's go back now. Dwight sent out this letter. Pastor Dwight, Calvary Chapel, Appleton. We were already... the. Here at Q90FM, our general manager was Mike LeMay. He was already looking into this. Somehow he got the letter from Dwight and said, we've got to alert churches and let mm-hmm. people know. Long story short, we tried to get the word out here at the ministry of the radio station and Calvary Chapel Appleton. I don't remember, but it was a minority. It was a small number of churches mm-hmm. that agreed with us that this is something we should bring to the public's attention. Right. We didn't call for a boycott or anything like that, right. although people had to make their own decisions on whether to, su- to support these kinds of men speaking there. Right. And the letter went out to all the evangelical um, pastors, uh, pastors in churches. the state. Uh, yes, the churches, the pastors, and the radio stations. And so, because mm-hmm. I, I did the mailing list, and I remember looking up all the... 
And it really caused a kerfuffle. I mean, it, it was in the post-Christ. Christianity Today ran with this. Yep, there's an article um, here. Yep. yep. And so um, I remember even at that time, I wrote a letter to the editor yep. along with Bob Meyer, uh, yep. one, one of our guests here that we have sometimes Jake have. Jake Jacobs. On, yeah. Jake Jacobs on Standard for the Truth talking about Wallace, uh, Marxist and globalist's uh, background and his history, uh, Students for a Democratic Society and SDS, all this stuff, the radicalism, environmentalism, pro-choice, uh, pro-homosexuality, and he's speaking at a Christian music festival. So we connected with Calvary Chapel in Appleton, Wisconsin. Uh, we, who's we? Q90FM is a radio station in Green Bay. So we are now in De Pere, and Stand Up for the Truth was necessary to start this radio program because we found out, since it was such a minority of pastors that were even uh, concerned about this, we were concerned about the state of the church and false teaching. So we had to take, in a way, the mantle of being a watchman on the wall, mm-hmm. as well as a pastor that should shepherd and protect the flock of God in his care locally. Mm-hmm. So that's then we started the program. Mike LeMay was the host of Stand Up for the Truth when it started. Um, I took over about three, four years ago. I don't remember exactly now. It's, it's all blends together. But here we are in 2022. This was almost, you know, 12, almost 13 years ago when that letter went out, when we connected with some of the Calvary chapels locally, mm-hmm. locally, regionally to stand, to take a biblical stand on truth, the inerrancy of scriptures, and to encourage people to be discerning and test all things. I remember talking to Mike at the time and, and it just seemed like the Lord really, really spoke to his heart that this was the natural thing that we needed that, that and nobody really does this and 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 it just seems like how could we not yeah I, right defend the truth exactly of Jesus what i'm Christ. thinking that is exactly what i'm thinking it just seems like i wish more people did uh and yet um the timing was right it's it just it's been a huge blessing for a lot of people and so now hopefully you understand why we have taken all these years of study that you yes. and i have both done and oh. others have done to try and give you this in an hour's time because we're still here i mean we tried we tried to do this i mean jesus christ is the same yesterday today and forever if he doesn't return in the next 10 20 30 years we'll be gone and the next the next generation will be here Will they take up this mantle right. of defending the truth against apostasy against heresy right. And that's what we're praying for, friends. Mm-hmm. Merritt was, we're talking earlier about the audiences, the people that attend these prophecy conferences, these Bible teaching, the pastors conferences. And we're talking about the average age being 45 and up, I'm guessing. Because right. where are the young people today? We also talked about, this is before we got on the air. This could be another podcast, but Barna, his research, I think earlier this year or last year, I think it was earlier this year, that if, for parents that, that are under 35, they, they're only 2% of them, friends, that's one plus one for those keeping score at home. 2% of them have a biblical worldview. So their children have practically no chance of knowing about God, the Bible, the Ten Commandments, biblical Christianity, they, crossing the path with, with another true mm-hmm. saint, believer, Bible-believing Christian. So this is the dilemma we have in America. By the way, this article, is that accessible online anywhere? No, it's okay. not, but I can send it's in the booklet that. form and I can okay. certainly send it out to people if they want it or I can post it online. Happy okay. to do We're that. We're going to have to do that. We could probably post that at a blog on standupforthetruth.com. It's called In Good Faith, the Emergent slash Social Gospel. So we're trying to expose a lot in a short amount of time, friends, but I know a lot of you started finding out about us during the COVID 
shutdowns where the the government and the globalists deemed the church non-essential, the church in America that has had dramatic impact not only here but around the world, and they deemed us non-essential and shut us down. Pastor Steve Smotherman was just on yesterday. His church, he did not shut down, and he's he's won legal battles with the governor of, of New Mexico in that state. They were fined $5,000 at one time just for having a Christmas Eve service and, uh, and not limiting the amount of people they allowed in their church. Now, he's got what would be considered a megachurch. So l- I'm glad I th- thought about that. We're not bashing megachurches, friends, all churches. We're not saying they're all under this one blanket of they run their church like a business and they're not biblical. No, but we're showing you the roots of the movement to conform like the world and to be like the world and to to grow like the world. Well, we're not supposed to stay behind church walls. Once you ha- you have a big building, the the comfort thing is I want to let's just have programs and let's invite people in. But didn't Jesus say go Go into all the world and make disciples? Well, I think that the true church, you know, narrow is the way, few there be. While that is true, we want to be influential, like what you were just saying, because certainly the the Marxist church has been influential. Look where we are. They seem to have more um, ability to communicate what they believe than than the church does. And so I think really um, our goal again this morning was to just begin to equip you to see, get some context to see why the church is where it's at, and what would God have us do with whatever time the church has left here. Um, we're headed for a one-world government. We're headed for a one-world religion, and we know all that. But to call out the darkness in these areas definitely has some value. So I want to quote, we mentioned Robert Meyer, and we're going to get him back on the podcast, Lord willing, in January. Uh, he's a journalist, and uh, he wrote throughout the years many a letter to the editor um, in <laughs> his day. God bless him. But... Um, um, he wrote about this in Renew America in a column uh, 10, when was it, 12 years ago. He said, regarding Jim Wallace coming to LifeFest and being unchallenged with no debate and just his view, his worldview. It is interesting that secularists who otherwise wish to absolutely separate church and state anxiously merge them back together if such a union can be used as a pretext for promoting a leftist political agenda. As Obama's spiritual advisor, Wallace wanted to cast a pejorative pall on those who vocally oppose Obama, thus sneaking a political message into what was thought to be an apolitical presentation. So I love his wording and the way he approaches things. Um, so we're talking about apostasy, friends. We're talking about uh, Romans thirteen eleven. Do this, knowing the time, be discerning. It is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now... Salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. And Revelation 3.11, Jesus said, Behold, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. Mm-hmm. And I'll just, um, just to be <laughs> thorough, I want to quote Dr. Walter Martin again, Mayor, and then I'll let you comment. We've got three minutes left. But Walter Martin said regarding the emergent church and liberal theology, he said, it is a cult. And I refer to it as the cult of liberalism. I wrote a chapter about that in one of my books. Dr. Walter Martin says it follows every outline structure of cultism, its own revelations, its own gurus, and its denial systematically of all sound Christian theology. It is a cult because it passes its leadership on to the next group that takes over, either modifying or expanding or contradicting the same heresies, 
dressing them up in different language and passing them on. It denies the authority of Scripture. It ruins its own theology. And it ends in immorality. Because the only way you could have gotten to this globalist, homosexual, morally relativistic garbage, which is today in our denominational structures, is if the leadership of those denominations denied the authority of the Scriptures and Jesus Christ as Lord. Test all things. Make sure of what is true. I'm not being harsh. I'm not being judgmental. I am being thoroughly, consistently Christian in the light of historic theology and the Holy Bible. End quote. Dr. Walter Martin. Yes. Uh, What comes to mind while you're finishing up here is uh, be watchful. Strengthen the things that remain. Because not everything out there is the church. You know, you have the church and you have the visible church. And so we're dealing with the wheat and tares all the time. We're dealing with what, what is true and biblical and correct. What is humanism? What is, I never saw, thought that I would see such an incredible Trojan horse. What a mess. Um, but the whole idea is just to equip you. And we're, we're hoping that you have a good solid church that you can study God's word. And we are always here too as a resource. I mean, you can, you can email us if you have questions on where to find more information. We're more than happy to impart that, more than happy to continue to study. Um, and praise the Lord. Jesus is coming soon. In the meantime, we are going to just, uh, uh, continue to, to carry on and do what God has called us to do. Okay. So, uh, I don't, can't pull up the calendar. Um, so I'm not sure who's coming up. Um, but guys, pray for ministries like ours. Okay, that's right. Okay. Tomorrow you will hear um, things that made America great from Pastor Andy Woods. That's a replay. Thursday, Carl Tykrib. He is also one of the contributors to this book we recommend from Lighthouse Trails, A Christian Perspective on the Social Justice Movement. Carl Tykrib on Thursday. Um, don't remember on Friday right now. But, guys, thank you guys for your, your prayers first for the podcast. Even now we're still having web issues, so keep trying the website Please be patient. There are a lot of problems, but God is on his throne. He is sovereign. We trust him in all things. Thanks, guys, for sharing, and uh, we appreciate you. Merry Christmas season as it continues. God bless you, and keep speaking the truth about things that matter.